Hi, I'm Max Lord, and I'm here to change your life. All you have to do is make a wish. Anything you want, anything you dream of, you can have it. If you can dream it, Daddy, you can achieve it. I'm Joel Murphy. And I'm Andy McIntyre. And this is Silver Linings Playback, the podcast where we watch maligned movies and we find their silver lining. And this is one of the most recent movies that we've done um, as far as like from its original release to when we talk about it on the show. Just weeks ago on Christmas Day, this movie was released after being long delayed uh, because of yeah. COVID. Good times. Yep. yep. <laughs> Um, happy New Year, everybody! <laughs> yeah, ha- Happy New Year. Uh, may May your twenty twenty one be better than twenty twenty. But yeah, uh, yeah. So this is Wonder Woman nineteen eighty four. It you know <laughs> you might have heard some of the uh, it very much shook up all of Hollywood and the theatrical release system by this is the first of what will be a year's worth of Warner brothers films released simultaneously in theaters and on HBO max. So yeah, this is a uh, possibly a paradigm shift in the way movies are released and uh, a great way to screw over the average worker on a film set. So that's fun. <laughs> Yeah, um, but that's not what we're here. We're here to talk about this movie. We're here to figure out uh, why it was maligned and to find a silver lining. And I guess it's as good a place as any to say, I'm kind of surprised we're here. If you had asked me, I would even say in November, and I'm not even an optimist, I would have thought that Wonder Woman was going to be released. It was going to be either you know fine to good you know the the trailer was great the concept seemed solid the cast seemed good and i was like this i was looking forward to it i i liked the first wonder woman movie and as as hit or miss as the dc extended universe has been i i thought i was like they get wonder woman gal gadot is great patty jenkins is back uh writing and directing patty jenkins is an amazing director I thought we were there, you know, Chris, Chris Pine's back, you know? Yeah. Uh, completely unproblematically. Chris Pine makes his return and that that's not true at all. Anyways. <laughs> no, I was in the same boat. I really thought, I thought it was going to be, um, yeah, good, fine to good. I think that was, that was sort of where I was expecting this to hit. Um, and it was none of those things to me. 
No, it, it fell apart pretty quickly. Also, just want to take one more second while we we're at this part, though, to say, like, man, that trailer was so delightful. The um, What's the song that the dun 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 I'm blanking on that. The um, Blue uh, Blue Monday by or. Uh, yes. Blue, yeah, Monday. Blue Monday by New Order. Yes. Right. Yeah. yeah. And it was like it had a really like sick cover of that. There was like this really like, you know, uh synthy you know very dramatic like it kind of really played up that song and it made the movie look cool and like all the 80s stuff really hit a yeah it was a great trailer that that had me you know i was optimistic anyway but like the trailer definitely sold me but yeah i i started watching this movie uh on christmas day and same uh i, I think you were texting me pretty quickly but uh yeah it was it fell apart fast and really you know like kind of bafflingly like i i still i've now watched it twice because that was the other thing is you know we after seeing it we were pretty quick to be like well i guess we're doing this movie uh, yeah but uh, uh this this is part of our good actors and bad movies month that we're doing yeah because a lot of good actors in this you got you know chris pines in here we got Kristen wig you got pedro pascal like you know i mean it's it is People who have done acclaimed work, you know, Robin Wright, Robin Wright. Yeah. Like there's small, small part. Yeah. Uh, I mean, Connie Nielsen was in Gladiator and that thing like won best picture. So, it, right. Yeah. And she was also in Devil's Advocate. And that movie is the best of all time. Yeah. This is second, second Connie Nielsen, second movie. Connie Nielsen movie. So she's, uh, <laughs> she's in that rarefied air of multiple appearances on the <laughs> Silver Linings Playback podcast. Uh, but, but yeah, yeah. If I want to say, like, that doesn't sum up the DCEU. Good trailers, disappointing movies. Yeah, no, for sure. And But it's just, I, I still, so what I was starting to say is, you know, so I watched it once on Christmas. I watched it again, uh, you know, because so we were talking about doing it. And I, I told you I actually wanted to wait a little while to record this episode just because I wanted to, like, give it another chance. Because I was like, I feel like I need to see this movie again. Because I... I want to understand <laughs> what happened and I I don't feel like I do but I felt like I needed to at least give it a second viewing to because I I'm not sure how we ended up here except that I mean I am sure how we ended up here which is that the DCEU and I love DC Comics so much and I love Batman so much specifically they're not good at this they can't do it No um I other than Batman I don't particularly care for DC comics. Um, so, you know, I'm, I've always, I was always more of a Marvel guy growing up uh, almost exclusively, but like I'd read some DC books here and there. Um, but yeah, this, like they just haven't been able to do the movies good at all. Like it's incoherent. It's like well, this movie in a lot of ways is a really, is really a microcosm for all the licenses to print money that have been put in front of the DC uh, production company that they've just bombed well it, it's funny because i mean to me dc has some specific advantages in uh the film market which is i would say and maybe you'll push back on this but in my mind i feel like the top four just name recognition you know maybe it's changed now with the movies but like before the MCU movies, like before that was all launched, just pure name recognition wise, people who didn't know anything about comics knew 
Batman, Superman, Wonder Woman, and Spider-Man. I feel like we're probably the top four. So Yeah, I'd be I'd be inclined to agree. Um yeah, like I said, might be totally different now. I think the MCU probably did a really good job of making Iron Man and Captain America, you know, and Black Widow. Uh, and maybe Hulk, maybe Hulk was always in the top five. I don't know. He had a show in the Hulk 70s. might have been just because I mean, he had the yeah. 70s TV show that was really big. He was a known character. Uh, uh, there was that rapper in the late 90s and early aughts, David Banner, uh, who was named after the Incredible Hulk character. Well, there's also uh, Hulk Hogan, who had a whole like copyright lawsuit with the Incredible right. Hulk because, yeah, you know, but uh, all that being said, point being like three of the most well known comic book characters in existence and you know batman and superman are pretty much the two original famous comic books they have decades ahead of uh but they all you know you have this the richard donner movies you have uh the tim burton batman movies you had a wonder woman tv show dc had such a lead on marvel in terms of success marvel had like that X-Men cartoon that we all loved that was really good. And they had Spider-Man and, you know, before the MCU, that was really kind of it. I mean, nothing else was really like hitting. Yeah, people well. might've known who other than Hulk, Hulk, I think you can put in that conversation. People might've known who Captain America was. Yeah. Or maybe knew about, knew that Iron Man existed, but he was still, I mean, Really, until he was put to the forefront in the MCU, was kind of like a second tier, even a second tier Marvel character in a lot of ways. Yeah, no, the I mean Robert Downey Jr. specifically, and and the movies themselves is like I think really elevated. <laughs> it's, it's funny too. I just have this memory of when I was a kid. So Batman was my number one, and I read a lot of DC stuff. I love Spider Man too. Those were the two that I read uh, the most, and then um, just uh, everything else is sort of you know, random, but those were the two consistent comics that I read. But I remember when I was young, I, I just thought Iron Man looked silly. Like I thought the he had like mustard and ketchup kind of armor. And yeah. like, I don't know, they used to draw him real silly back then. <laughs> like, I think the designs come a long way. Similarly, Thor, who's become probably my favorite MCU character. I didn't like him because he had those dumb feathers on the side of his helmet and he talked in cursive. Yeah. He had that weird sort of script looking dialogue, yeah. his, his speech bubbles. So like as a um, kid, I yeah, was I like, mean, I'm not, this isn't school. I'm not reading cursive if I don't have to. This isn't school. <laughs> I'm just going to, I want to find some J. Jonah Jameson yelling about those pictures that he hasn't gotten yet. That's what I want. Right. But yeah, no, you're hundred percent right that easily Batman and Superman are one and two as even yeah. now I would still say that they're still the two most recognizable superheroes. Um, but yeah, it should like it. This should have been these movies should have been layups. Yeah, and Wonder Woman was a great character that you had the Linda Carter show, and like for some reason they hadn't tried a big screen adaptation earlier, which you know uh, is baffling to me. But then you know they did, and they found Gal Gadot, who I think is good casting. Uh, they Patty Jenkins, like I said, is a really great director. The first movie. Even though it ends with Wonder Woman fighting a pasty British man, which will always confuse me, is really fun and great. And I really enjoyed it. And uh, it it was actually 
with all this DCEU stuff, and again, being a big Batman fan, I dislike <laughs> Batman versus Superman so much and I'll, everything they've done. I, I actually think that Ben Affleck is perfectly fine casting for Batman, but like everything that they've done has been so bad that I... Wonder Woman was the only thing that had me originally when the first few movies coming out going like I would burn all this down except we lose Gal Gadot's Wonder Woman, which seemed like a shame, you know, and then I I came to also like Birds of Prey this past year, (laughs) but like, yeah, it definitely seemed like the one character because like the the DCU movies just fundamentally misunderstand Superman and Batman. Well, just at a, like a very base level of the character. They just don't understand them. But it felt like they got Wonder Woman. Even in Batman vs. Superman, they felt like they got Wonder Woman a little bit. Yeah, they specifically really don't get... Like, what's funny is they kind of write Superman like he's Batman and then know that Batman needs to be darker than Superman. So then Batman is just a homicidal maniac, essentially. Like, like you know superman functions as like a pessimistic like grim you know like which is like the whole conflict if you're going to do batman versus superman should be the fact that like because there's been great stories about conflicts between batman and superman but they tend to revolve around the fact that like they see the world differently which is that like superman has godlike powers and is an eternal optimist and batman is a human who assumes the worst about everybody <laughs> like yeah it's like the fundamental thing and and we should probably save this for when we inevitably do Snyder month but <laughs> um yeah you know superman is unerringly positive and he saves the day batman is suspicious of everything but won't kill anyone yeah and none of that happened in the in the Snyder movies. Yeah. No, Batman is basically he's the equivalent of like when Matthew McConaughey says like you just have to be positive and everything will work out. And it's like, yeah, cuz you're Matthew McConaughey. And that's where the conflict comes from of like, you know, Batman is the guy going like, you know, I can try to rise and grind all I want, but you know, I'm not going to be able to fly and shoot laser beams out of my eyes. So, not with that attitude you're not. <laughs> uh, but anyway, so we're here to the, talk about WW84. Yeah, yeah. So so let's get into this movie because I have a lot of thoughts on this movie. But point being, you know, um, this was like, you know, it's funny having just rewatched all of the um, Christopher Nolan Batman movies in my head right now. I'm imagining uh, Christian Bale Batman just yelling at Harvey Dent like you know you are the best of us that's why you know like I'm just like Wonder Woman was the best of them for sure you know yeah. and uh, yeah 100% you know so that's why of course she had to be torn down because 2020 was a terrible year so also Wonder Woman 1984 needed to be bad needlessly yep so yeah. okay we spent a lot of time not talking about this movie so let's so let's talk about this movie. Get into it. Um, it starts bafflingly with uh, Themyscarian Ninja Warrior. I think, yeah, like, Themyscarian Ninja Warrior. Yeah. So we it's, featuring Jesse Graff, who is a, a celebrity from American Ninja Warrior, as one of the Themyscarians doing the ninja course. Well, yeah, because and, and it, that literally is what it is. They're they're doing an obstacle course. They're throwing uh, javelins through rings. They're riding horses. There's a lot of colored smoke. Uh, this is a very long sequence with the young uh, Diana, and she's trying to win, 
and then she cheats and then she's gonna win but then uh robin wright is like no not like this and then we cut to 1984 and none of that ever matters again (laughs) yeah that you think like this big lesson that you shouldn't she shouldn't take shortcuts like it they try to make it pay off but man they don't yeah so so that happens and it I keep just coming back to the idea that I feel like that scene was in the movie because they wanted Robin Wright and Connie Nielsen and the island of uh, Themskara, like just all of that to be in the movie. And they didn't think of an organic way to do it. So they just wrote a short film and stuck it right. on the front of the this other movie, you know, uh, and it's weird. It's a weird choice. Yeah, so I, I I don't know. Do I want to say? I guess like one of my other big complaints. This is Wonder Woman nineteen eighty four. Other than the one scene in the mall, literally nothing about the eighty. Nothing about this movie had to take place in the eighties. Oh yeah, no. I imagine we're gonna talk a lot about that because I have a lot of thoughts on that. Yeah, I've just like so. Yeah, it's. It's not called Wonder Woman 2. <laughs> it's called Wonder Woman 1984. Like they And I haven't seen the other 1983 <laughs> Wonder Woman movies between then and now. So I, I yeah. guess I got to go back and do some watching. Maybe that's why it didn't make sense. Uh but yeah, so they they're clearly spotlighting the year. They they think it's important that you know that it's 1984. 1984 has connotations. Like you're a history teacher, like you know. Yeah, there there's a a pretty famous book there's Called a famous, 1984 which you would think okay so maybe maybe we're doing that maybe it's something about government surveillance states or like the way that we're all being watched or controlled nope none of those are themes in the book or in the book in the movie, movie no like nothing it has nothing to do with any of that and then you're like okay well then the year 1984 weird that you still picked 1984 because everyone's going to think of the book 1984 but fine must have something to do with the cold war or like yeah, Ronald Reagan. Yeah, which there's a president that I think is supposed to be vaguely Reagan, but that's very unclear. But he's definitely not Reagan at the same time. But I think like he's, you have like, say yeah. what you will about Ronald Reagan, but he is an iconic figure from the 1980s, an iconic figure more so than most presidents, I would even say. Yeah, so I to mean, set a movie so clearly in 1984 and not have Ronald Reagan be the president, like even if you do a crappy Watchmen. Uh, putty on their face Richard Nixon version of Reagan like that still seems like it would make more sense yeah and it, it, what's weird too is then there was specifically a line when uh, Pedro pa- Pascal's Max Maxwell Lord is talking to the president uh, that the president specifically mentions the Star Wars program like as the satellites and such which is a thing that Ronald Reagan created so like Presumably, Ronald Reagan exists in this world. He's just not the president in 1984. He just didn't win one of the <laughs> most widely contested presidential elections of all time in 1984. And, and so instead, this guy got elected. Yeah. And, and he's and he's not Walter Mondale either. Yeah. He's the president. He has no last name. Uh, but yeah, that's I mean, that's the he, he does. It's president. His first name is the yeah, his first name is the uh, so he's president, president, or Mister President. If you, <laughs> yeah, if you're nasty, yeah. <laughs> All 
All right. So, yeah, it's it's totally baffling. I guess, you know, because we're at the part where we're maligning it. And I suppose we're not actually going to go beat by beat. So I'll just take this point to say, yeah, so we've already covered storyline wise. I mean, sure, there's something about greed happening in this movie, which is, I mean, 80s greed is good. Ronald Reagan, all of that does vaguely tie into the 80s. There is also uh, the opening scene in the mall, which like it felt like they just packed all of the 1980s into a 10 minute segment and then put it all aside i really part of me wonders if that scene was filmed last like if that was a reshoot because they made the whole movie and someone went you caught it wonder woman in 1984 and there's nothing about the 80s so there's just this opening scene if you haven't seen it there's like you know um it's, it's a mall there's people doing uh jazzercise yeah there's the, people driving the leg warmers it? yeah and like the guys are driving like a red uh what's the sports car that they have Pontiac firebird yeah it's like a firebird and and wonder woman shows up in the mall and it's they're like on the third deck of a mall and they're trying to drop a kid off the edge and she saves the kid and it's like super the 80s you know for 10 minutes and then all of that is dropped the the style that is used there is dropped the tone is dropped the the 80s-ness of it is dropped and like outside of chris pine doing a fashion show for five minutes the 80s really never factor in like i wouldn't have even been surprised if they called each other up on modern cell phones yeah and later in the movie i'm like yeah sure why not well and it does sincerely raise the question of why did you set this in the 80s you could have set it in modern day why not get wonder woman to the modern day you need to do that anyway and there's nothing about this story that requires it to be set in the 80s. So if you're not going to lean into the the silliness or the visual interestingness of making it 1984, then just make it modern day. Right. And the events that happen in this movie are catastrophic, cataclysmic, whatever you want to call it. The type of thing that like growing up, you'd be like, I remember where I was when the world almost ended at the hands of max lord granting wishes like a bad genie yeah but also max lord at the end of the movie seems to not suffer any consequences and in fact is allowed to let go and just reunites with his kid and it's like hey sport i know that you probably need a lot of therapy but uh i'm gonna just blow past all that and say that i was a bad dad or whatever and let's get ice cream and not suffer criminal consequences for all of the many laws that i've broken over the course of this i don't movie. know that might be the most 80s thing about it a wealthy oil tycoon commits heinous <laughs> crimes walks. and suffers absolutely no consequences you know that I, okay I, I take back everything we yep. said about this not being an 80s movie uh it's all you know what it, it felt wrong fits. but you, you know what? it does check out it totally checks out okay so that makes sense <laughs> but uh, <laughs> yeah um, um but you no know, this movie literally didn't other than that like some of the winky nostalgia in the mall scene in the um chris pine fashion show like other than that it didn't need to be in the 80s yeah and the other thing that i found really frustrating look i i enjoy the work of Hans Zimmer, who I feel like has done a lot of, I mean, he's won an Academy Award for like, for doing scores. Like he's dude, super yeah. talented. He also did 
uh, two movies that, you know, two, well, a movie and a franchise that we've referenced in that he did the score for Gladiator. He did the score for all of Nolan's Batman movies. Hans Zimmer is a ridiculously accomplished and talented uh, composer who I have enjoyed over the decades. He did. He phoned this in. I'm just going to say it. A hundred percent. This is the laziest film score I've ever heard, like in a major motion picture. It feels like it was written in an afternoon. It honestly feels like temp music. Like it feels like the music that they use while waiting for Hans Zimmer to write what he's actually going to write. Hans, are you going to punch this up, make it a little better? Oh, no. Now I'm done. That's all. That's all I'm doing. (laughs) This is this is what you got. Yeah. Sorry. Sorry. I just I don't care. I uh, I, I do not care. uh, Check cleared and I'm out. So I found that really baffling how boring the score was. It if you're going to do a a classic type film score, but you're setting it in 1984. Trent Reznor comes to mind as maybe he would have been a good choice to do some like synthy 80s music or like, you know, uh, I don't know. Ludwig Gorenson probably could have nailed this. I don't know. Like, just like find someone who's going to do a, a score that feels like it's a 1980s score. You could get Alan Silvestri. Alan Silvestri. I was just going to say, you could get Alan yeah. Silvestri who did the music to Back to the Future. So I think he knows his way around like 1980s film composing. But they do Zimmer. It's really boring. I, I also will never understand why they didn't use pop music for a number of the scenes. Like, it, it's just... That's one of the really fun things about the 80s is the music, right? You know, and you there's so many like I actually did like for my own amusement, I ended up going through and kind of looking up because I was curious. I was like, I don't know 80s, you know, uh, chronologically super well, but I was like, what, what was out in 1984 that you could have used? And just like bare minimum, my own research could have used once in a lifetime, <laughs> Like that would have been great when Max Lord is like, you know, granting everyone's wishes and it's, you know, they're not in their beautiful houses and like, you know, it's a surreal dream world. Um, Holding out for a hero could have been used like during any of the action scenes. I fucking love that song. Like that would have been great. Um, You know, like uh, 99 Luff Balloons. I would have thrown that in there. You know, you had that. That would have fit at some point. You know, yeah. I love that song. That would have been great, a great yeah. choice. And alt for Maxwell Lord at any point is "I Want a New Drug" existed in 1984. Um, I I wrote down specifically. I know a boy's like would have been really great for Kristen Wiig when she transformed into sexy Kristen Wiig. Um, you know, there was uh, she or she bop is my alt for that. You want to get some solid Cindy choice. Lock? Yeah, or even you even have stuff like Four Horsemen by Metallica existed if you wanted to go more rock with it. But like, yeah, there's some really great like 80s music that would have worked and would have at bare minimum injected some like life into this movie. <laughs> yeah. Um so many bad choices. Anything else you want to say about that? Uh it it confuses me, but no, I, I think we hammered that enough. I mean, I think yeah. we did. Um, another thing, like, and there are movies I like that are guilty of this as much as anything. Um, but movies should have consistent rules for themselves to follow. Oh, this, they should have. Yeah. They should have a, a like a physics that makes sense for that world and rule. Like. I love the Ant-Man movies, but they're wildly inconsistent with what the shrinkage powers do and grow and all that. Like, but 
you know what? It still kind of works, maybe because Paul Rudd is so gosh darn charming. Uh, and uh, Michael Pena is just a delight. But like this movie just has no internal logic to it whatsoever. Yeah, well, it, it is. Yeah. And again, I don't we, we often strive not to be the, you know, everything wrong with this movie. And, you know, however many minutes, guys, you know, I we don't try to be pedantic about it. But yeah, it's just like it's frustrating to watch a movie like this where I mean, like little stuff bothers me, like. For example, just, you know, Pedro Pascal, like when he steals the wishing stone, for some reason, he he's like stealing this from Kristen Wiig's office at a party. He drives it all the way back to his office to to wish to become the stone, which why? <laughs> why? But like, that's not even a logic thing. Just what what are you doing with that? But then like the wishing stone itself, like the rules of it make no sense. Kristen Wiig's allowed to have two wishes. Um, you know, uh, Wonder Woman wishes for, uh, Chris Pine to come back. And for some reason he can only come back through quantum leap rules, but you can wish to like have all the Irish people leave your country and that happens, or you can wish to get your land back in a wall magically erects, but like to have a dead person come back, they have to quantum leap into someone like they can't just yeah. <laughs> like, j- like <laughs> what would have been different if. He just showed up and was like, I exist now. I didn't. And then I'm here. And then yeah, you could have like, I, don't, into, I wouldn't have questioned that. It would have made more sense because it would have avoided the like, he's just hanging out in some guy's apartment and having sex with Diana as this guy who we see at the end of the movie, but the movie is not in any way interested in like explaining, did that guy wake up? And look around his apartment and be like, what has happened the last seemingly month, like few months? Because when they're flying in the the jet, it's the 4th of July. But the end of the movie is Christmas. Like, it seems like he was in that dude's body for probably months. Yeah. And just like make like set rules and stick to them like i don't care that wonder woman is lassoing lightning and swinging through the sky screw it it looks cool do it great let's have that happen but like she turns the plane invisible because she like wants to what's i mean wonder woman always had a hat on a hat in her in the like creation of the character and that wonder woman in the comics can fly and also has an invisible jet which is confusing the movie doubles down on that in that up in the first movie, she neither flies nor has an invisible jet. And then for some reason, they decided in Wonder Woman 84, she needs to both fly and have an invisible jet. Like, why? Pick one. Right. Well, I think, didn't she fly in uh, the Batman v Superman? And oh, well, I think, well, so in in the 2000s she's now capable of flight i guess right we, we learned how but yeah i and i think that's a big problem too is like so we opened on this scene that was pointless that took up like 20 minutes and didn't connect anything and then there's all this stuff the movie wants to establish it wants to have her fly it wants to have the invisible jet it also wants to have this gold armor that seems to only exist to look really cool but has a whole backstory attached to it and it's like if those are things you want to thread throughout the movie then you have to like that opening scene could have worked to establish any of that. We could have had young Diana trying to learn how to fly. We could have had young Diana learning about the gold suit and about 
uh, you know, the the woman that was in it who you I guess we'll just go ahead and mention it now. I don't it, it'll come up later, I'm sure. Yeah. But like serves to exist as like a Linda Carter cameo in the like post credit scene, you know. Uh, which was cool. I I like that. Probably, you that, know, I, that made me smile. Yeah, and she was really delightful. Uh, but do you want to set up that you don't have to show us Linda Carter's face, but maybe show her in the armor from from the back, so we don't see who it is to establish right. that when Diana's young, or establish Diana trying to fly, or establish Diana trying to make things invisible. But like, those are all things you wanted to accomplish that don't even come up until like an hour and a half into a two and a half hour movie why are you cramming everything like literally they had to she ties up steve and is like oh by the way this lasso can also show you flashbacks that we forgot to get to earlier so you'll understand why this armor is important it's a new power the lasso has because we are bad at storytelling now right um and like i'm i'm always a fan of the monkey's paw trope of wish granting i think that's a, a classic way to in go. storytelling it's definitely what i want from a wishing like the the idea that be careful what you wish for you know is, is great it's definitely what should happen it's yeah monkey's paw stories are great you know but there's also like dramatic irony like that you know maybe gal gadot wonder woman gets uh, Steve Trevor back, but then gets arrested for kidnapping this guy who he quantum leaped into or something. He's just like, eh. but it's like, no, she gets her wish and then also loses some of her power kind of maybe if we need to for the script to work. Well, that that was the biggest thing is like the idea seemed to be that the stone itself, it gave you your wish, but it took something from you. And in Diana's case, it took her powers, which could work if the movie was more interested in exploring it. But like, it's kind of like sort of glossed over uh, for Barbara. The idea was like she became an apex predator cat lady, but she lost her humanity, which makes sense for Pedro Pascal. Um, he was getting sick, like becoming the stone where he was dying, like having it inside him. Okay. Those all work. But then it was like, once he became the stone, he could just like pick a random thing. It was like, I, what do I need right now? I, I'll get that from you, you know? And it's like, okay, but those are different rules, <laughs> you know? So right. it, does the stone pick your greatest weakness? Is it like, you know? It's just, yeah, stuff like that. Like all of a sudden he can just say, I want a thing. But then. There's even like the part where he like meets with the oil guy in the the Middle East and the guy's like, I already sold all my oil. And like, so then he can just take a different thing. It doesn't like I these rules in this world are real flimsy and lazy and just just non-existent is and, really the thing. And then you get into a thing, too, where so at the end, it's so dumb because he he literally people have to touch him. And then <laughs> he basically uses a loophole in language where the president's like, you know, we created these satellites that can broadcast to everyone, or I guess you could say touch them maybe. And he's like, touch, you said the word. So therefore <laughs> that means that television broadcasts me. are the same. And which is like dumb, but okay. But then we literally see his son wish that his dad 
was back with him, which is like the whole thing. He has a son that, you know, it's all very cats in the cradle. Like he doesn't have time for his son because he's too busy being the wishing stone. But like his son says, I wish my dad was here with me and nothing happens. He like, I actually thought when he did it, I was like, I thought that was kind of clever. I was like, is that how he's going to lose? Like his kid wishes for him to leave the spot. You know, that would be kind of cool. That would be a kind of monkey's paw thing. You, you gave anyone what they wanted and what you didn't realize is that your son just wanted you there, which is ruining your plan. That would have been clever, but like the kid just wishes for it and it just doesn't happen. Everybody else gets their wish and his just nope. Nope. Yeah, it's. I don't think it's too much to ask to establish an internal logic for your movie. It doesn't even have to be the real world's logic. In fact, it's a lot of superhero movies by definition don't follow conventional rules of physics or anything like that, but. Uh, and like, let's be ma- clear, I do. I in no way want Wonder Woman to follow any sort of rules of physics. Like, that would be to the detriment of these movies. I like that she throws that. Like, I, and I'll just say, I think it's some of the best stuff that Patty Jenkins shoots is when Wonder Woman is just, like, throwing the lasso out, catching it on something, and, like, flying, like, soaring through the air. It looks great. Yeah. But um, I do need to understand what's happening. <laughs> like... I, I need and to understand why it's happening and why it's happening just on a basic level because I, and then you get into things like, you know, we're, we're talking about a lot about the stone, but like Barbara's arc is a mess. Like I huge she, mess. First of all, she's just this trope that's in a lot of these movies. Weirdly, like she's, she's not different from Edward Nigma in Batman forever. She's not that different from Michelle Pfeiffer and Batman returns. This is what Jamie Foxx is playing in the amazing Spider-Man. She's just like, you know, a pushover nerd with like frizzy hair and glasses who is steamrolled by the world, who then gains confidence through super villainy. It's been done a lot in these movies, actually. And Uh, usually not in a good way. But uh, that streak continues. Yeah. Yeah. That's, you know, all of like none of those are great examples of. Uh, but uh, except Michelle Pfeiffer, Michelle Pfeiffer in Batman Returns is truly yeah. wonderful and it makes people think Batman Returns is better than it is. But that's a different show if we ever talk about Batman Returns. But anyway, um, it, that's fine. I get the arc, but it's like, why did she become a cat lady at the end? <laughs> like, I don't really feel like we earned that or or understood it. It was just sort of she's on a plane with Max Lord and says some mumbling line about wanting to be an apex predator. And then the next time we see her, she's a cat. Yeah. I mean, we're really lucky. She didn't turn into a great white shark or (laughs) a lion or an alligator or any number of other apex predators in various ecosystems. Yeah. A bald Eagle. Yeah. And it's the best I could figure out. It was because of Diana's shoes. I guess oh, the very beginning when she's wearing the the yeah. leopard print heels. Yeah, I think that the those you know that's the best I got. I, I felt like they yeah, were and I mean in one of the scenes when she's starting to gain her power, she does wear a bunch of animal print. Right, but that's what I think. I think like she wanted to be like Diana. She saw her shoes, and then that that thought got in her head, and she so that I don't know. It doesn't make sense. It's but you know so there's there's that mess of storytelling. Um, it's just the whole thing really is a very clunky mess that 
if you stop to think about anything for too long, it, it doesn't, none of it really makes any sense. And again, like you said, I mean, the rules can be whatever you want them to be. You just, you need to understand the story that you're telling and it needs to be like clear. It just, this yeah. whole thing just feels sloppy. I think is what it really comes down to. It's just, it's a very sweaty narrative. Like it just, yeah. yeah. Or even in the climactic scene where it's like, but I can't get my lasso to him because he's surrounded by wishing wind. Yeah. Oh, wait, I can get my lasso to him because I wanted to bad enough. Well, and then also that gets into just like pretty much on every level this movie stumbles in that like, yeah, so you want him, he's in this protective wishing bubble and papers are flying around or whatever. But earlier in the movie, when Diana makes her wish to bring Steve back, when Barbara makes her wish... They touch the stone and literally nothing happens. Like there's not an effect. The stone doesn't glow. Like, like, so again, just think this stuff through. If that's how you want it to be at the end, make it glow and do stuff in the beginning, you know, like just create a visual language for how the stone works and then make that consistent. And then when he becomes the stone, he does whatever the, but like, I thought that was such a weird choice that like. In the first half of the movie, when it's just a stone, it does not do anything when you wish. Like it does. There's not again. Hans Zimmer's asleep, so there's not even like a musical cue that we hear <laughs> that could be like a repeating theme. He didn't care. Yeah, the stone doesn't even like shimmer a little bit or anything. Yeah, just like a couple like just wind chimes or something, <laughs> just like doing a little flutter would have done wonders for you know, no pun intended, uh, for like the visual style or just yeah. FX team make the thing glow, you know, make some papers yeah. fly off a desk, like something. Or like the standard when there's supernatural things happening in a movie, like there's a breeze that you don't know where it came from. So your hair gets tussled a little bit. Yeah, just any choice. I mean, it's a movie. You picked a visual medium and the stone does nothing when you make a wish. <laughs> like, And I'm just going to say it. Gal Gadot is going to look really attractive when wind is blowing through her hair. Yeah. Just another <laughs> added yeah. bonus. Yeah, I mean, they all, like, so will Pedro Pascal, like, as we saw yeah, at the end. Yeah, that's true. So, I mean, you know, but, uh, but yeah, like, it just every choice was really baffling to me. Like, it feels like every opportunity they had, they picked the most boring choice or the most confounding choice, like, every time. When, you yeah, know, it Again, some of these are layups, like play pop music from the 80s in an 80s movie is the layup of layups, you know, like that, that, that's, should, that if that doesn't occur to you, I don't know what to tell you. Like, yeah, someone's alleyed. You just got to oop. Like yeah, it's, it's <laughs> slam I, that sucker home again. I don't Someone know. Someone sauce you a pass across the blue line. Just got to hit that clapper, you know, past the goalie. It's easy stuff. I don't know. Maybe who who ever was in charge of the music department of this just really forgot like they were just oh i got it yeah so you cleared all the music rights right oh no i'm totally on it and then they didn't and then they're like okay well you didn't get any music so you're gonna get Hans zimmer right oh totally i'm gonna i'm gonna call hans any day now and they like sent Hans zimmer a text 20 20 minutes before <laughs> they went to final yeah. cut <laughs> like, I, I feel like the whoever was doing this uh also worked for uh, the Republican campaign and set up the Four Seasons landscaping uh, press oh, conference. Man, I, Same level of a detail attention. Although, you know, you say that, but the Four Seasons total landscaping was visually more compelling than a lot of stuff in Wonder Woman 84. I mean, there was a full narrative arc to that. Like, <laughs> there were great visuals. There was great comedy. <laughs> 
Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's just a lot of really baffling decisions. I don't know if there's anything. I have like one more thing I do want to, because we're, we're late in the show. We got to pivot, but there's at least one more um, thing. I, I don't want. really have anything else specific, so I'll probably jump on whatever bandwagon you're about to pitch here. Okay, look, I know this is petty and it's fine, but I just want to say this for the record because it's it's something I strongly believe in. If you put a phone number in your TV show or your movie and it's an actual phone number, it's not 555, I should be able to call that phone number and get something uh, that ties into your movie. It should be like you're putting the phone number on the screen. I want to call it and have something fun. So when at the beginning of the movie, when Maxwell Lord is doing his life is good, but it could be better. Like there's a phone number, the 1-800 number at the bottom of the screen. So of course I saw it and I was like, let me call this phone number. Maybe, maybe it'll have a recording of Maxwell Lord saying exactly what he's saying right now. That would be fun. It, the number does not work because of course not because they didn't bother to get the number because they didn't do anything they should have done because this is the level of attention to detail. So there's a 1-800 number that is a real number that appears in this movie that if you call, it just tells you that it cannot be connected. Great. Yeah. It's just because that's I mean, man, maybe I'm dumb for this, but I like that. That's a thing that makes me happy. I do too. I think it's fun. Yeah, I because like Better Call Saul has done that. Like other shows have done that. And it's really fun. You call it and you just you just want to hear the voice of the person from the thing, like in a recording and in the real world. And then you're like, that's neat. That's neat that I can. Yeah, do the that. the Ghostbusters number was live. It was a live recording. Yeah, it's just you. I feel like you have an obligation to do that or write five five five. It's one or the other. But like, if you're gonna put a phone number in, it should work. Yeah, if you're not gonna do a five five five, it should be. A, a function just a recording something yeah okay so i got that out of my system so that's good no that that was necessary that it was, was i was very mad so i guess let's pivot mm -hmm. uh what are the silver linings that opening was a really good short film <laughs> oh the, the oh yeah it was i mean in a vacuum sure yeah if it was i mean you know yeah if it was, it was a, like it was, a dvd was, bonus feature <laughs> Yeah. It was it was exciting. Like, yeah, it was, you know, I thought it was well shot. It was the stunts were cool. Yeah. And no. the mall scene was a lot of fun. The, the see, that's what, yeah, I was going to say that that uh, that was where I was going next is. Yeah, because the 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 opening scene. Yeah, you really have to view it in a vacuum because it does not tie into anything else. But if, if you approach it as a short film, yeah, it tells a full story. It tells a better story than probably the actual movie. Uh, we get to see all the people that we want to see. It's really well done and produced and fun. And they clearly spent a lot of time and energy and money on it. So, yeah, no, that opening scene is great. It just it has no connection to the film Wonder Woman. None Wonder whatsoever. Woman. Absolutely it, none. Honestly, maybe it was like a, a scene that was cut, deleted from the last Wonder Woman. And they just were like, Could well, be. you know, let's, we already have it. So <laughs> let's just tack it onto this It's in one. the can. Let's let's. But had this runtime out, baby. But yeah, so so putting a pin in that one, then yeah, the the opening mall fight scene is what the movie should have been. That 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 was the movie I wanted for ten minutes mm -hmm. in a mall. They made the right Wonder Woman movie. Like it, the tone was there. Like I, I mean, I love. There's so much I love about it. Like the the fight stuff is really great. I I really like when she's like. You know, she's saving everyone like she's making people like land 
safely and stuff. And then she like, she gives a little wink to the girl and the girl like winks back at her. There's like, there's a, she's taking out the cameras so that they can't film her. It's a really complete, again, we get two great short films to start this movie that are both two minisodes and then a bunch of dreck. Yeah, but no, I, I loved that that opening mall scene quite a bit. And it felt like Wonder Woman 1984. So that's yeah, good. The only part of the movie that really felt like Wonder Woman 1984. Yeah, uh, I realized. Sorry, I know we pivoted. The other thing that I forgot to say when we were maligning the movie is like Wonder Woman felt like way too passive of a character in her own movie outside of these two scenes that we just talked about that like Diana is just sort of hanging back and watching all this stuff happen and she doesn't feel like enough of a protagonist which i think was a huge problem yeah but we're not at and that i mean point. some of that some of that is consistent with like her wanting to keep a low profile but at the same time it's a movie well yeah it's like one i mean she's the hero of the movie so you got to do something and two it's just like even stuff like she never really chose to unwish like Steve, he, that was his decision. That should have been her decision. Like she need, cause he already sacrificed himself in the last movie. Like she, she needs to make some more choices. Like you, you she can't yeah. just be an observer to her own movie. Like she's got to, like, you know, anyway, that bothered me. Like I, I felt like of all the main characters, she was the one they were the least interested in. We get a lot more of Pedro Pascal and Kristen Wiig and probably even Chris Pine than her in terms of like, actual story arcs and anything she's just sad she's sad that steve's not there and then sad that he leaves again and that's not even getting to the idea that she knew this guy for about a week 70 years ago yeah i mean it is chris pine yeah so okay that tracks i i I withdraw um (laughs) (laughs) yeah I i mean I think those are, I think those are the, like, you can watch the first 25 minutes of this movie and be done. Although I will say the only other silver lining that I really have is I love Pedro Pascal in this. I really do. His character is a mess, but he is trying so hard and he's so great. And he, the character is there because of him. If they knew how to write Maxwell Lord, he's playing this character perfectly. They just don't know what to do with him. Yeah, no, hundred percent. He's, he's. Re- I mean, yeah, I, I'm. A, I'm a definitely a big Pedro Pascal fan, and and he's man. I like. I I know he's already blown up at this point. He's he's in the Mandalorian. He's in this. He was in Game of Thrones. But like, I I feel like the sky is the limit for that guy. Like he is so ridiculously talented and versatile in what he can do. Uh, yeah, he's great on Narcos. He's he's been great in literally everything I've seen him in, and different in everything I've seen. Uh, yeah, him. I, I haven't seen him play the same character in anything. Um, yeah, he's he's really delightful, and I he was a big part of in the trailer. While I was excited for this, I loved those promos that he was doing about like life getting yeah. better, and I I was disappointed that he didn't they didn't know what to do with him. Yeah, uh, but it I still think he was a silver lining. I'd agree with that. Yeah. Yeah. And um, look, she didn't do anything great, but Natasha Rothwell was a silver lining because she showed up and I was like, that's Natasha Rothwell. And then she was in one scene and she was delightful again as well. Um, I thought it was a a solid throwaway joke when 
they're talking about the wishing stone and the a-hole workers like oh, i want a coffee and then he gets a coffee like seeming by chance right afterwards it's like that's cute okay but since you brought that up because i <laughs> this occurred to me earlier and I, we had already moved on i wasn't going to go back to it how did he unwish for that coffee <laughs> because that's the whole thing at the end right like so how did he <laughs> did i mean since coffee is a diuretic so you do pee it out pretty quickly so maybe that counts as the unwishing but then is that a loophole so then by your logic could could you just wish for coffees forever like if that was your only ambition it's like i never want to pay <laughs> for coffee, coffee. again <laughs> I want a free coffee every day for the rest of my life. Does that Whenever count? I want a cup of Joe, I get one. <laughs> yeah. That's that's the loophole. That is the wishing stone loophole. It can't take anything from you because it's like, well, okay, we could. Oh, he drank the coffee, so he doesn't really have it anymore. <laughs> so I guess you could do that with any sort of consumable. Yeah, that's true. I just, I never want to pay for a pizza again the rest of my life. I just, if I yeah. want pizza. <laughs> just... Like, I guess they could monkey's paw you by saying it's from Papa John's. <laughs> And it's delivered by Papa John. He shows up at your house and he wants to hang out while you eat it. Yeah, he wants to share it with you. <laughs> but he forgot the garlic dipping sauce. Oh, man. That's the only good part. I know. <laughs> oh, man. We I would renounce that wish after the first one. Yeah, you wouldn't even need the <laughs> rest of the movie. Question. He'd show up and I'd be like, nope, shut it down. <laughs> God, is there a better movie that's just people just being dumb with the wishing stone like using it for just stupid things is that the better movie this is just making me think of there's a great bit in uh, a rick and morty episode where summer works for the devil and she uses a monkey's paw just to save his life but it's like all three wishes she wishes to be stronger she wishes to know how to untie the knot and then she wishes to know how to do cpr <laughs> he's like this is the lamest use of a monkey's paw like <laughs> it's pretty great yeah. All right. But I... I think we did it. I, I think we did it. I mean, it's... Yeah. Like, I, I'm... Like I said, I where we started is where I'll end. I'm really baffled that we ended up doing this movie. I had high hopes for it. and Same. Um, yeah. Outside of the two short films that we got at the beginning. Yeah, we got two really fun shorts and then... And a great performance from Pedro Pascal. And that was it. And that's it. But... Hey, you know, it wasn't our time to win. You know, we'll we're we don't get. I really wish I could remember that dialogue. I would have like nailed the the Robin Wright. Nailed, dialogue. You stuck the landing. Yeah, if I could have just hit that dialogue, you know. So instead, how about this? I'll go out on this. You know, this movie. You know, those short films were good, but this movie could have been better. Silver Linings Playback is a production of HoboTrashCan.com. If you enjoyed the show, please rate or review it on Apple Podcasts. Hear more great shows on the Peak Sloth Podcast Network, like this one. How many times has this happened to you? I just want to listen to a podcast. I can't choose from all these complicated structures and setups. You want to listen, not think. That's why there's Hobo Radio. You'll feel like the smartest guy in the room in a room by yourself. This doesn't take any intellectual thinking at all. Thanks, Hobo Radio. Hobo Radio, a weekly podcast on the Peak Sloth Podcast Network. <laughs>